Hello, and welcome to the If We Knew Then podcast. I'm Stephen Sox. And I'm Lori Sox. And today we're joined by John and Mark Cronin. John is the founder of John's Crazy Sox. We were so looking forward to this conversation with John and his father. John is an entrepreneur. When we went into the interview, we thought we were going to discuss how parents create job opportunities for their children in this community. But what we found was this beautiful story that I'm so thankful and so honored to witness and that they shared with us because it's, it's so much more than that. John created this sock company. Their mission statement is something that any business scholar can learn from, and they do. They do talks, they do TED Talks, they do education. If you look in the show notes, there's so many links to all of the great ways that they have moved forward in this community, making opportunities for this community, changing the perception of our community, and making it better for those who come behind them. And they also make incredible socks. So please welcome John and Mark Cronin. John, Mark, it's so great to see you this afternoon. Thank you so much for joining us. How are you? Hi. We're grateful to be here. You help us spread happiness. Uh, that's our mission, right? Absolutely. Everything is about spreading happiness and showing what people with differing abilities can do. So the more people we can share our story and what our colleagues do, the better off we are. John and Mark, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourselves? Well, you want to introduce us? Sure, Dad. My name is John. Dear my partner, my dad, Mark. We are John Critic Socks. And our mission? It's very happiness. What do you say about yourself? How old are you? I'm 25 years old. And you're an entrepreneur? Yes, I am. You started this business? Yes, I did. What else do you do? Outside of work, what do you do? As I work, I do Special Olympics. Special Olympics? And I am dancing to sing. You are a dancing fool, I think the word might be. Yes, I am. <laughs> and I hang out with my friends, my family. So there's John. Me, I'm the dad. I'm his driver. I'm the old man in the crew, right? I've done a lot of different things. Here I am now working with my son, the sock tycoon. John, why socks? What made you want to open a sock company? Why socks? It's fun. It's colorful. It's creative. I always let me be me. I want creative socks my whole life. I, I try around and look for it. We used to drive around looking for socks. But Lori, I think we need to put that question in some context uh, of how we got started, right? It, it was back in the fall of 2016. And where were you? I'm in Huntington High School. I going to be, be my last year of school. In, in, in the U.S., if you have a, a, have a disability, and I guess a same school, same school system, I tell, I tell 21. At 21, tell, they tell you, get out. Yeah. But what that means is, you know, you have a disability and you're in school. 
all of the services you need are right there, right in front of you. All your supports, all the services, all the programs. Once you turn 21, you have to leave and now you're on your own. So in a state like New York or California, there might be programs out there, but you have to find everything and you have to piece it together. In some other states like Florida or Texas, there are no programs. So it's, it's often known as the 21-year-old cliff. So that's where John found himself, was in his last year of school. His okay. situation is quite common because there aren't a lot of great options out there for people with different abilities. But John here, he's a natural entrepreneur. That's right. If you didn't see your job you wanted, what were you going to do? I want to create one. I want to make one. And I said to my dad, I want to go with, with you. I want to have nice fathers that been together. So John's the youngest of three. Yeah, I, I hear her a younger three. And this is one I can work with. So that, that made it okay, right? Right. But then you know, we had to come up with an idea. What were we going to do as a business? And John, like most entrepreneurs, you had a lot of ideas. Some of them were even good ideas. Right. And what, what was like one of your ideas? One of them is a food truck. I got an idea from the movie Chef and John Barrow, a movie about a father and son buying a food truck. This seemed like a really right. fun idea. We started thinking, what could we make? Where would we put the food truck? Uh, but we ran into a problem. We can't cook. Yeah. We can't. <laughs> so it was after the food truck that John had his eureka moment of, we should sell socks. Right. I want to go a little bit kind of deeper. And you were talking about that 21-year-old cliff. So since we're here, let's talk a little bit about the school system. What was that experience like for you um, supporting John through the school system? Well, what did you study when you were in high school? I studied a lot of skills. Did you like going to school? I do. I love going to school. Right. We had a very positive experience. And part of that is early on, we recognized that the teachers, they were experts. They knew what they were doing. And we worked with them as a team. We didn't view them sometimes parents and teachers, particularly in the special ed area, wind up being adversaries. But that's not the approach we took. And, and so I'll give you some examples of how that would work. Your speech teacher, Ms. Clay, yeah, was working with John to try to get him, as she called it, to use the little words, you know, to use the connectors, because he frequently would leave those out. So we would talk about that so we could reinforce that at home. Or one of the things that would happen, you like telling stories, right? I did. So John would come into school and be regaling people with what happened. Only you couldn't tell if he was talking about a TV show or something that happened at home because he would talk about him in the same way. Uh, so what we wound up doing is I would write a short note every day about what was going on at home about things we did so that when John started telling stories, the teachers could tell what was going on and they had some other information that they could use. So that worked very well for us. And, and the life skills were critically important. I mean, they put you in a position for you to be able to do what you do now, right? Right. And, and I'll, 
I can share kind of a humorous anecdote about that. In a previous business, I uh, was running an office that you would work in, and John would come after school and work there. And we had decided that in that business, we wanted the smartest people we could get. And to do that, we were recruiting people right out of college. Kind of, we were kind of running a finishing school. We know they'd only work for us for a year and they'd go on. And we recruited from the name brand schools, if you will. And we were very fortunate. We would get 200 applicants for three jobs. And we got people from around the country to move to Long Island on this. And they came from you know, Harvard and from Brown and Amherst, top, top schools. But one of the things that we came to realize is they were so busy when they were in school studying AP classes that they missed some really basic things. So almost to a person, none of them knew how the postal system worked. They knew you had to put a stamp on an envelope, but the concept of first class mail and the weight of the envelope and you have to put different stamps on for different weights eluded them. So John, because he studied life skills, would teach them how to use the postal service. So here were kids from Ivy League schools learning from John because he learned life skills. When did the life skill classes take place? When did you start that? Was it high school or a bit in junior high too, right? I, I probably in junior high and a high school to me. Well, one of the toughest moments we had came in first grade. Uh, we were a bit into school and John was in an inclusion classroom. And we very much were advocates of inclusion education. And the teachers sat with us and said, we'll continue to do this, but we don't think it's in his best interest. And their rationale was that John knew he wasn't doing the same work as everybody else. He knew he wasn't keeping pace with everybody else. And he had an aide that was helping him do his work. So in theory, he was included, but in reality, there was a big separation. And what they recommended was that he move into the, a 12-1-1 class, or using the regulatory guidelines, 12 students, one teacher, one aide for the class. And we were very hesitant. but. We trusted them. And for John, at least, that turned out to be right, the right move. Because what happened was he was then able to gain his confidence and really develop. And we worked with the school and the school was set up. So there were other opportunities for inclusion, for gym class, art class, lunch, other ways that students were able to mix together. But that, I remember that was really... That was a tough moment, not for John, it was a tough moment for my wife and myself. I'm going to jump forward. Did John receive a, a, a diploma? Was he able to receive a diploma at the end of it all? No, because New York State has changed their guidelines over time, um, but he was not able to qualify for a, a diploma. You walked graduation I did. with your age peers. And then he had an extra three years and also split time uh, the last three years at the local tech school. So he would spend half a day at the local high school, half a day at the tech school, and you got a certificate from the tech school. 
Does not getting a diploma, a high school diploma, affect the job opportunities after high school? Then? Well, they made their own job. I know, but, I just, but to get you to where you are. The answer is it can. It depends on how rigid a company is. Um, if, if a company has an absolute rule that you have to have a high school degree, that can be an issue. Businesses have some written rules and unwritten rules, right? There are consulting firms and finance firms that won't hire somebody with a GPA lower than a 3.5 or a 3.0, or, or they'll only hire people from certain schools. I, I know from our perspective, what we look for are people who in fact have acquired the life skills and are able to come and work on their own. And we can train them on the skills that we need at our workplace. What grade was it that you moved to the 1211 classroom? First grade. We were just saying here that must have been a really difficult uh, decision to make for you. It was. It was very hard. It's something since kindergarten they've been pushing on us or trying to put on us. The only difference sounds like you have a really supportive system, whereas that's not the... There's not a lot of other options for inclusion if you go into that classroom for us. For us, it was definitely not something where our son would be supported. It's very hard and, and it varies from school district to school district. I was having this conversation last night with two folks. Uh, Long Island is split into, if you count them, you get exactly one gazillion school districts. And it's highly stratified by income and, and then ultimately by race. So in our township, there are eight school districts. When we were moving out to Long Island, we looked at a house in the neighboring school district. Like the house, a lot of wonderful things about it. The school district wins awards as being one of the top districts in the whole country. But at the time, they did not do special education. They literally farmed it out. We had you know, two students, two, two of our kids, one in particular, a high achieving student. And we had John, we needed a school district that would do both. There was only one time, I take it back to it, two times when we found ourselves at conflict with the school. And and the second one, in many ways, and and with the school district, in many ways, was really disappointing. After first grade, we asked, well, what should John be doing in the summer? And they didn't really have any recommendations for us. So we wound up getting him accepted at a local day camp where we had a long, I had gone there as a kid. I worked there in high school. His brothers had gone there. And they would send aides to the camp to get his physical therapy there and his speech therapy there. And it really was wonderful. And it was a terrific experience for John. And the next year, now we're going to go back. This, this is great. And the next year they announced, no, he has to go to this special program. And that's it. Now, I told you, we viewed the teachers as the experts. So this was an administrator driving this. We said, okay, just tell us why it's better. Tell me about the pros and cons of each approach. And when the response came, there are no pros and cons. The day camp doesn't work. This is the only thing that will work. I knew that was wrong because we had had, he had, had such a wonderful experience. But we were still willing to check it out. I said, okay, 
well, tell me more about this program. Well, it's kind of like a day camp. They do this and that. All right. We'd like to go visit. Oh, you can't do that. You can't do that. Nobody can visit because they have entirely different staff during the summer and they have in the winter. And now some of the teachers were like, well, geez, we'd like to go and see what it's like. So we made arrangements. We walked in the building and John, though he had not been trained in civil disobedience, knew the drill. He sat down on the floor right away because this was an institution. And we met with the summer school principal who went on at great length about how grateful we should be that she was meeting with us. And right out, right out of the gate said, I want to dispel any information we given. This is not camp. She went on and I'm listening. Oh, okay. We came back and we spoke about it. And now we were deciding, no, we want him to go to the state camp. We went into our meeting and the administration railroaded this. And then we walked out and they, he was going to go to this institution. And uh, my wife was a lawyer at, at the time. And they were always afraid we were going to sue, which we were never really talking about doing. But they called up and said, would you be willing to consider you know, coming back to a meeting and not suing us? Since we weren't going to sue, we said, sure. And I'm one of these nerdish sorts. So I take out the IEP, which is, you know, 1,500 pages long in detail, and I go through each one to see where is he at and how can we achieve what's supposed to be done in the summer. And out of the 1,500 pages, it came down to four items, three of which were going to be addressed, and it was one we think he had already achieved and we could certainly help him with. So I now prepare this analysis. I got charts. I got figures, I make copies for everybody. And we show up at the meeting and they open the meeting and completely flip and approve him going to the day camp. And I'm like, yes, but don't you want to see the charts? <laughs> like, and I was disappointed because they had no courage in their conviction, right? There was no, if you really believed there was only one way, then why aren't you standing up for that? And all the people that are just going to go with what they say. What year was that? That would have been after second grade or third grade. And then we never, particularly as it went on, they got new administrators. It was all very positive. So that was, if he's 25 now, so he'd been, so it'd been about 15 years ago. So that was, this is what I think people find so shocking about our journey is that's something when we think about this journey and institutions, people think that that's what happened, you know, a long time ago, but this is, this is 15 years ago. We are well aware of how far, I mean, we can go back further. So you have Down syndrome, right? I do. Right. And what do you say about Down syndrome? I have Down syndrome. Down syndrome never me back. No, it doesn't. But you would know People born with Down syndrome are frequently born with significant medical issues. I'm old, so it's like an old-fashioned Chinese menu. You get everything on column A, and you get to pick and choose column B, except you don't really get to do the picking and choosing. So John here, on day three of his life, needed intestinal bypass surgery because his intestines were not fully formed. He wasn't getting any nutrition. Before he was three months old, he needed open heart surgery because he had two holes in his heart and a leaky valve. They weren't doing that surgery a few years before. The first cardiologist we met with looked at us 
and kind of matter-of-factly said, you know, nowadays they try to save some of these babies. And, you know, that was 1996. So it's not, it's, it's not that far in the past. It's not like it, that was happening then. And there's still, there's still the limitations. And in good storytelling, you, you learn it's show, don't tell. So part of what we try to do, John and, and I personally, but what we try to do with our organization is just keep showing people, you know, just keep showing, you know, a lot of it, we, we meet with policymakers, we meet with other businesses. Don't tell us, well, it's a nice inspirational story. You can take inspiration from it, right? But what we're always driving home is on the employment side of, Hiring people with differing abilities is not altruism. It's good business. Don't do it simply because it'll make you feel better on Sunday or on Saturday in Temple. Do it because it's going to help your business. That's the key. And it helps the, just the whole foundation. I think it's the same. It's a reflection of the classroom where we're meant to feel grateful. We're meant to feel grateful for what our son's civil rights are. It's an education. You're, this is, these are the things you're supposed to do. And it's that feeling of grateful and look at what he can learn from all these other kids. Well, look at what he all can the other kids bring to probably it. learn a lot more from having Liam in his, in their classroom. We've seen that in our lives. I'm sure you've seen it in your life. And when, when John was born and maybe when Liam was born, you would hear God only gives a burden to those who he knows can handle the burden. Well, first, you know, you're being told that at a very emotional, difficult time, and it's like, this is not a burden. This is my son. But it's also almost a comic version of cosmology. Okay, let me get this straight. God is floating around in a cloud, and he looks down and he says, well, Stephen and Lori, things are going pretty well for them. Boom, let's see if you can handle this, right? That's not it. And in fact, it turns out John has made us better people. Like we just did a TED talk and the theme of a TEDx talk and the, and the theme of it was that people with differing abilities are not waiting for us to help them as much as they are waiting to help us. Um, and we reflected on some deeply personal things that, you know, you hear the story, John comes to me and says, dad, I want to go into business. You know, dad, let, let's do this. And what I was hearing then was John needed my help. What I realize now, John was rescuing me. John was lifting me up. And in our business, a lot of the, the crucial decisions were really driven by John. Um, and that's not cliche and that's not, you know, saying niceties. And, and, you know, his brothers are better off. They're better men. They're better people because they had John as their brother. Well, when you say that, it's, it, it's not a nicety. It's a, the absolute truth. And what I, I'm always struck by is, you know, John's doing this amidst 
so much adversity amidst misperceptions. I mean, we're doing this, this community is doing this because no, it, even though there's, there's rights in place and things and that should be happening, it's just to the point that every, we're just doing it. And like you said, showing, Show and, and we've, we've found the importance of the difference between showing and proving that we're just, we're just going to show, we're just going to do it. We've waited. Now we're just doing it. And, and then there's no denying it. It's one of the benefits of social media that the story's out there and that now the other stories were, were somebody else's stories. And these are our stories told by us. And when you were saying about the school system and the teachers, I was so jealous. And then you said your wife was a lawyer. And I was like, ah. <laughs> but that really, uh, I wound up being more of the bulldog. At the, and it was only very early on. But it really was a notion of we're going to work together and exchange information. We expected things from the school. But we also, we, we just, had, we're in this together. Now, how are we going to put that together? But it is about being together because we do find that we do a lot of the work and the support of being part of that team. I, I feel like that entity, just like in the camp situation, that higher entity is the one that restricts how much other people can work as a team with you. You know, early on in my career, I taught at school. You know, I was a, I, I taught at a Catholic grammar school. I taught seventh and eighth graders and I taught a year at a Catholic high school. And, you, you know, it seems so obvious, but the teachers in administration are not a monolithic group and all the teachers together are not a monolithic group. But as is true for so many things, I don't view this just as John. I, we took the same approach with all three of our kids. When our eldest was reaching kindergarten, we were living in Greenpoint, Brooklyn, uh, which is now the heart of hipsterdom. We were, we were early hipsters. We just, we just didn't know it. We, we were there because the rent was cheap. But he was reaching school age. And at that point, we had our second son. John was not born yet. And so we're now trying to figure out the education. What do you do? And the, the local public school was really bad. Uh, so so what do you do? And we're, do we send them there and work in the community to improve that? Do we send them to a private school? But how do we afford that? Do we send them to a Catholic school? Do we move? And one of the things that we looked at was homeschooling because we knew some people doing that. As I've explained to him, we rejected that uh, because we didn't love him that much that we would do homeschooling. <laughs> but it turns out that was a false dichotomy. We're educating our kids all the time. The schools can only do so much. And we, in many cases, we're asking the schools to do more than they can. So it, it has to be a partnership. And that's true, not just of a child with a, per, with a particular challenge, but with all the, with all the students. You're yeah, right. we're all homeschooling, right? We've got them more than they're at school. And that's a really important thing because I, I think a lot of parents do have that challenge, trying to be a team and trying to work to support. And you don't always get a, a group of teachers or a school district that wants to work with you. 
And that's one of the things I say is you ultimately have more input in your child's life. Yes. You can do the work and there's going to be benefits. And I think it helps with your peace of mind to know that because sometimes you can feel like this advocacy is you're just hitting a wall and then that's that doesn't feel good. That doesn't or your feel advocacy good for is is just fighting. Uh, it's fighting. it's conflict, yeah. and you don't want conflict. Conflict, conflict mm-hmm. feels so bad inside your body, and it's just having to find that peace and that way of navigating whatever that challenge is to where it becomes the positive to to find what's good in there. And, and the home you're educating all the time, not necessarily because you're sitting down and teaching somebody arithmetic, but going to a 7-Eleven and having John go up and pay for things at the counter, going to the grocery store and you go get these items and figure that out, you know, making sure you go and talk to adults, going to the movies, uh, you know, yes, going to uh, museums or more educational things. But I look at my own life and people say to me, what was your background? Did you have a retail background? And I had no background in retail or running a warehouse, but I'm 63 years old. And I have spent my entire life preparing for this interview to be ready right now. And you learn things along the way. You know, when I was a kid, different day and age, I hitchhiked all around the US. I hitchhiked $10 a day over in Europe. And you know, a car or a truck pulls over and you run to get in. And, and I never worried about my safety. But now you get in and you got to size up that driver because you got to get along. In fact, not only do you have to get along, you're kind of the entertainment. And it could be for 10 minutes or it could be for 10 hours. So when I was doing that, I wasn't thinking, well, this is a good educational experience. I was off on adventures, Jack Kerouac in my pocket, you know. But what a learning experience. And that's the way with our kids, right? Of exposing you to different things. We did have a, a funny one once. Uh, it was at that previous office. So John would come home, uh, come to the office after school. The bus would drop him off there. And he had certain tasks. You did the shredding. I knew. And you would go to the post office and you would run errands. And I get a call one day from the woman who's in charge of special education in the school district for the junior high and high school. She says, Mark, I got a call from a parent with a complaint about you. What's going on? Well, they saw John walking around the village by himself. And they called up and said, somebody better talk to those parents and straighten them out. Now, luckily, we were on the same wavelength. And she explained to that parent, this is what we're trying to do. He was independent, right? And he could go to the store and cross the street by himself. I'll give you a, a funny example. Can I tell this story? Yeah. You, you'll, you'll, you'll let it. So um, we were running phone banks for uh, the Obama campaign. That was 2012. So at night, we'd close the office. People would come in and we'd set up phones. And, and John knew you got to give food to people. So we would be buying cookies and stuff every time we give out. And I had forgotten him get him one day. And he said, Dad, do you want me to go get the cookies? And I said, sure. So he's with me. And he said, what should we get? And you say, chocolate chip cookies. And I said, all right. And, and then something else. And I said, you like those sugar cookies. Get some sugar cookies. And he writes that down. And then sprinkles. We'll get some sprinkles. He writes that down. He goes across the street, comes back later with some bags. Out come the chocolate chip cookies. 
Out comes the five pound bag of sugar. Out comes the container of sprinkles because it said sugar and he got sugar. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, well, I want to talk about the obviously so- the, the socks. socks. Yes. Well, first I want to say what a great advocate you are. And I love that it's not like a word or a label. It's just like a way of life. And I think that's the balance that we're, we're searching for. And we always talk about if we knew then. So it's nice to see someone who's been through the journey and that advocacy isn't this, what our good friend Mazen Miller says, and it's showing showing up up and you are an example of, of that. And, and I love it. And I'm so thankful that I I get the opportunity to talk to you today. I have to ask you though, when you went back to that non day camp, um, that was an institution, what did that feel like? So here's what it made me think. So when I was a kid in New York, you had these big institutions that a reporter named Jerry Rivers uh, helped reveal. He's now known as Geraldo Rivera. But one of them was a place on Staten Island called Willowbrook. And it became infamous because he snuck cameras in. And here were people wrapped in sheets with feces on the wall. Those were the institutions. And you know, I remember when I was a, a kid in high school, I went to the one-to-one day in Central Park when they were breaking down these institutions, they brought all these people out into Central Park and I went and volunteered to spend a day playing with people. Um, And so when I saw this place, that's what I was thinking. I was thinking, oh my God, we have spent decades moving away from this. So it's, I don't think what we do is anything special. I don't think what we do in our business is anything special. There's no rocket science here. I could walk you through everything we do. There is no genius. We've been on panels. It's fantastical sometimes what happens with us. We were on one last week, two weeks ago, an online panel that was hosted by the general counsel for LinkedIn. The first guest they introduced, they introduced as being, and this is so-and-so from the world's most valuable company, Microsoft at the time, goes up and down every day, I guess, depending on the stock market. And this is representative so-and-so from the world's largest retailer, Walmart. And we have John and Mark from John's Crazy Socks, right? I've listened to Fortune 500 companies talk about, we devoted these resources and we did this and we did that and all this, and we've hired one summer intern. And we sit there and say, look at us. We're a couple knuckleheads selling socks. We have no special training. We have no government support. And yet we've created 31 jobs and 22 are held by people with different abilities. And we did it because it's good business. And we thrive because of the people we hire. And guess what? If we can do this, you Fortune 500 company with all your resources, you can do this too. Yeah. And that is how you're changing that you're, you're just doing it. You're doing it. You're, it's not a bunch of talk. And, and, and I think that those fortune 500 companies still, the reason why they're so limited is they have the, the mind frame of, well, we could do them a favor. We're doing this. Look at, look at us, look what we're doing. And they really don't get it. Here's the thing. It's part of our ethic here. So our entry level position, right? Part of what we do, we, we do our own fulfillment. We have our own pick and pack warehouse. If you're going to sell online, you got to have a pick and pack warehouse. 
the largest is now Amazon, and they try to force people selling on Amazon to use their services. So what do we call our pickers? Uh, it, it's called sock wranglers. Sock wranglers. And what do we call our packers? Happiness packers. Happiness packers. So our entry-level job is the sock wrangler. It's a $15 an hour job. We don't pay minimum wage because nobody does minimum work. To get the job, you come in, you got to meet with John and me, because we want to make sure you understand our purpose and our mission, that you understand our culture and the story. And we want to make sure you want to be here, that you're not here because mom and dad want you to be here or coach wants you to be here for some other reason. And then you get trained by a current sock wrangler. And when you're ready, you have to pass the sock wrangler test. And we will only hire you if you pass that test. And we are steadfast about that. Last week, there were two people. They took it a couple of times. They didn't pass. And we said, we can't hire you. But that's part of the dignity. Everybody who works here knows he or she earned that job. And we tell folks, John here, he's a very nice guy. I am not. If you're going to work here, you have to produce. And when you're here, that's how we treat you. Now, this is a fun, easy place to work. There's no screaming. There's no carrying on. But you can't just sit around. We're not going to baby you. You're going to work. And that's part of why people love it. Because they know. Nobody gave me this. I got this. And I'm producing. And everybody knows what our mission is. And everybody knows why their job matters. Everybody knows how their job helps us carry out our mission. We, we had a filmmaker in here yesterday and she was gonna go around and interview our colleagues. And I said, go and ask every one of them, what's the mission, what do you do here? And she said, you, you don't wanna be with me? You don't wanna, I, I don't have to be. She came back later and said to what person, everybody knew the answer. Everybody spoke about why it mattered to them. Well, that, I think that's the difference is because you have a different mindset than these other companies that still look at it as being altruistic. And by having that mindset, you pass that on and the dignity that you pass on to all of your employees that permeates through your business. And it's the same thing if we do that in the school systems, if we do that and we shift those misperceptions and look at the success. It's a, it would be at the foundation and just continue to grow. It can be a struggle as a parent because we want to do things for our kids. We want to protect our kids. Um, it was easy for me because I'm basically a bad parent. So it was easy for me to do nothing for John and you would figure stuff out, but your mother loves you and she would want to do things. And I'd say, no, 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 let him do it. And you like doing things for yourself, don't you? Right. Right. And you got to push. I want to ask you, what was the most important life skill that you learned during the life skill classes, John? Um, I, I, I learned... I I I learned how to cook. I got how to learn how to do laundry, or I learned how to make a money math, something like that. And I learned to ride the bus. I I learned the bus. I went my class. Are we doing multiple jobs? 
every morning. Here we go to our homerooms and I share about uh, good news. I, I know what is uh, updated. What you learn? And, and I learn about that. And I'm going to know how to do uh, making copies, helping mailing on the, the staff, the teachers, all that. You learn how to interact with people. Yeah. You learn responsibility. You learn problem solving. The, the problem solving with John would be humorous at times. There was one time you were home alone. Yeah. We were out. You were in high school at this point. And um, he wanted to eat something and he wanted to heat it up in the microwave. But the microwave was broken. So what would you do? I'd probably find something else to eat. <laughs> John went to the neighbors and knocked on the door and said, can I use your microwave? That's smart. Or he had another time he was home. I told you, bad parenting or unstrong with me. He's home alone. He wants to eat something. Couldn't figure out exactly what to do. He took a picture of the directions and texted it to me and said, Dad, can you call me and tell me what I got to do? But that was part of the things they would do. So it would also be confidence, right? It wasn't, let's start by talking about problem solving. It was, we're going to teach you certain skills and how to handle certain situations. And in the course of doing that, you're going to learn some problem solving. And then you're going to be able to take that and go elsewhere. So, you know, here, here's an example. I've learned not to underestimate John. So in 2017, we were invited to and got accepted into a business accelerator program called Mass Challenge. It's kind of laughable. We were like, hey, you, know, <laughs> you, you got Harvard MBAs, you've got MIT rocket scientists, we sell socks, but they took us in the program. It was really a wonderful opportunity. They were based out of Boston. So we would drive up on Monday night, get up there around midnight, one in the morning, spend Tuesday and Wednesday there, drive home Wednesday night, get home at one in the morning. Uh, when we were there, there was a mixture of meeting with mentors and classroom settings, and a lot of giving pitches and presentations. So at one point they were having a minute to win it contest. And I said to John, I said, why don't you, you know, I do a lot of the talking. Why don't you go prepare our minute to win it talk? I said, okay. He goes toodling off and I'm staying at work and doing something. And a while later he comes back to me and he takes me and they had lots of different physical setups there. And they had this kind of phone booth type setup for one person to be able to work. But all the walls were white, were whiteboards. He takes me in the room and on the whiteboard, he has now written this whole presentation. And he takes out his phone. He says, okay, dad, I got it. And he sets the alarm for one minute and reads what he's written out because he's now done his one minute presentation. And how did he learn that? He saw others doing, and he got that exposure. Um, if we tell our kids, and if the schools tell our kids, you can't do this, you can't do this, you can't do it, they will learn not to do it. If you set expectations and give them opportunities, they will rise up. If you set goals that are too easy, it's boring and uninteresting. If you set goals that are out of our reach, you'll give up. You want something that's just beyond the fingertips. But we learned something else up in the Mass Challenge program. There'll be these classroom settings and John would get there early. 
and reserve a seat. And then he's texting me. You're going to be late, Dad. You got to get in here. You're going to be late. And I'd come ambling in. And then during it, I'd lean over to him and say, <laughs> you know, go to say something to him. He goes, pay attention. And I realized that if we were in high school together, we were not going to be friends. <laughs> and, uh, I, I can tell you something that was really good. Go ahead. This is uh, it's learning experiences. For example, like uh, a, a transportation. Transportation. Uh, I did it twice. I took a train. Well, you took a train by yourself up to Boston when we were in yeah, Mass Challenge. Yeah, I know how to take a train by myself. And you know, I told you before, my wife is this loving, caring woman. Boy, that was hard for her, knowing that her son's taking the train by himself. But she knew, you know, he could do it, and we had to have faith in that. Yes, it's um, there's a uh, educational theorist at a Harvard named Howard Gardner, who's got his main book is Multiple Intelligences, and in it he he identifies seven distinct intelligences. I think he's added an eighth now. Um, in school, we measure an analytical and a verbal intelligence, but we have a physical intelligence. We have a social intelligence. We have a management intelligence. And when he does uh, profiles of people, he uses bar charts. And you might be high here and lower here. I think of John as having like 400 distinct intelligences. And some of them, sorry to say, it's like a two-year-old, but some of them, he is off the charts. And, and it's part of what we try to do here. Focus on people's strengths. Don't ask people to do what they can't do. So what are some of the things you do here? I do videos. I now I'm doing right. I'm doing TikTok with, with my colleague, Pretty. A lot of TikTok videos. And, and I help picking orders. Right. Uh, I help a duck I help I give wrapping. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I do... Uh, Home deliveries. You give the tours. I give the tours. You're the face of the business. Yes, right? I am. We don't ask John to do our finances. Right. I, I, I don't know how to do financing. Because that's not his strength. Right. And yet, Friday, we did this ceremony. Uh, we had an event here to celebrate the fact this special Olympic athlete here has now donated over $100,000 to the Special Olympics. So we had a little press conference here. And we had the CEO from New York State Special Olympics. We had the New York State Comptroller, Tom DiNapoli. There are only three statewide elected positions in the state. That's one of them. And John gets up to speak uh, before a crowd of people and before TV cameras. And, And some people have not seen this before. They're amazed. But he works really hard at this and is always coming up the learning curve. Right. But that's a talent he has. And... You only find out when you give people an opportunity. Well, I don't ask Stephen to do the finances. <laughs> yeah, it's so, not my strong point. And that's one of the things is that you see 100% of your son. And sometimes like, I can see my daughter's strengths and weaknesses, and I can address both and say we're going to highlight the strength. There's something about if there's something that's not Liam's strength, and it holds more weight and it shouldn't. It's just that we focus on the strengths and we're not going to ask them because it's not enjoyable to ask my daughter to do multiplication off the top of her head. Why would I do that? And I don't. So I think uh, you just said that so effortlessly. And I was like, it was just 
that's what we're looking for is that equanimity of, of life. It's just the, the, the value and, and who we are and, and, and seeing someone and nothing weighs more. It's just choosing that focus on the strength. And it doesn't mean that we're turning our back on something as long as we em- embrace it 100%. It's just that that's just what we're doing because that's just what we do, right? You're in LA. If I'm starting a basketball team, I may want LeBron James on my team. I don't care what his SAT scores were. I don't care if he can do geometry or speak French. I want to know how is he as a teammate and, and how can he play basketball? It's not hard. And, and the other thing, you know, is so from the outside, if you looked at our family, you might say the presenting condition is Down syndrome. Well, both my wife and my middle son suffer from pretty significant forms of depression uh, that's been paralyzing and crippling and has, in both of their cases, unfortunately led them to make some, some really poor decisions. Down syndrome? Down syndrome is easy. Depression? No, that's hard. But we have lots of people walking around with depression. and We don't rule them out. Right. It's, it's, it's something about those things that are that people can't see. Part of what I believe is that when I'm in the school system and I'm advocating for my son or we do Every Kid Counts is that every kid counts. My son has something, an extra chromosome that you can look at and you can have your own perceptions and make your own judgments on. The way you treat my son based upon his individuality and differences is so absorbed by other children who have differences that you cannot see. And it affects the fabrics of our society and humanity in so many profound ways. Um, One of the reasons that you started this business or that John started this business with you is to make opportunity, which I love. He made an opportunity for himself. I want people to let that sink in. John saw the deficit in what society had set up And he made the opportunity, not only the deficit of the supports that are out there, but also the job opportunities that are out there that are affected by this systemic of uh, the lack in the education system or biases or whatever it is. He created his own opportunity. He is an entrepreneur that created this own opportunity for himself. So let that sink in. Think how powerful that is. And along the way, he keeps doing it. Um, you know, here's another small anecdote. It's January of 2017. We're just getting started. And we're finding out that nobody buys anything in January. They spent all their money at the at, uh, Christmas holidays. And we discover then that people wear crazy socks to celebrate World Down Syndrome Day. And when's World Down Syndrome Day? I, it's March 21st. It, it, it's a World Down Syndrome Day. So... You would have thought we knew that ahead of time, but we're not that smart. So now at that point, we're not making any of our own socks. We're just reselling other people's socks. So we go looking for a Down syndrome sock that we could sell. Nobody made one. Nobody in the world made one. I'm getting frustrated because I can't find one. What do you say? I said, I want to make one. I said, we'll make one. And he sat down and designed the world's first Down syndrome awareness sock. And for John, that was so easy. So when we talk about skills, that entrepreneurial skill 
and sense of, oh, I can go and make something happen and have an impact. That is such a sublime skill. And he's got it in spades. Tell me, how incredible is that skill? And now you want to tell me, well, he can't do higher math, so we, we don't want to hire him? Are you kidding? What a law, and that's what society does is it, it loses out. It misses out because of those misperceptions and boundaries. Well, then John's big strength is, is being an entrepreneur, and then he opens up a workforce for maybe that's employees, not people's right. strength, but they can be employed because he sees the best in them and their strength. And I want to talk about the socks. I just yes. looked up your, so wait. Well, first of all. Oh, you got your turkey, your gobble-gobble We got the gobble-gobble We'll be thinking of you uh, Thanksgiving Day when we wear these. We got a four-pack so everybody can have their gobble-gobble socks. And we don't (laughs) sell things on this podcast. We're not monetized. No advertisements or anything, If we didn't come in to advertise... uh, Nobody came in for any of that, but we want to support the community. So I said, well, if they're going to come on, we're like, let's buy their socks. And we bought your socks. And these socks are amazing. Steven spends so much of his time trying to find a good sock that doesn't like rip or shrink or Mm -hmm. socks are really hard to find. And when we got these, the first thing he said was, Ooh, that's a good sock. Yeah. So here's a cool thing, right? It again, I think speaks to our approach. What we've created is a social enterprise. We have a social and a business mission and they're indivisible. They feed off each other. If all we were doing was selling socks, you wouldn't be talking to us. Yet if all we did was have a nice kind of father-son little thing, you wouldn't be talking to us either. You wouldn't know about us. It's the power of putting the two of them together. And we have to have a great e-commerce business. So here's a really cool thing. When we started, just the two of us, we could put all the sock choices we had on one table. John now owns the world's largest sock store. That's incredible. But you started the company by selling socks that were already created, designs were created. They were kind of a crazy sock that you liked. And then you go, great, I can get this maybe at a wholesale price. And then yes. that's how it starts. I mean, like you're, you're not going to be sewing socks in your, in your house. It's not- no, we have some people who think that John is down the basement <laughs> sewing all, all these socks. That's really not the case. And then when did you move into the part where, hey, I can, I can now design my own socks and own these socks? The first month. Oh. We opened, when did we open? Uh, we opened on a Friday, December 9, 2016. And we were just testing the idea. But by January, John was designing his first pair of socks and we had tracked down a mill. You know, one of the things we get to do is be nimble and be fast. We have no excuses. We can't blame headquarters. We can't blame the board. We get to do things the way we want to do it. You know, it's, it is about... Spreading happiness. Right. That drives everything we do. We built it on five pillars. I it's meant to help give it back from products you can love, make it personal. And making it a great place to work. Well, when you make it personal, that's one thing we got in our delivery. We got a we note. Got a note from you. You get a handwritten thank you note from John, right? So here's what you you know, hopefully you experience this, right? You get the package, you get John's smiling face on the outside. You open it up, you get your socks. You get the handwritten thank you note from John. And on the back side of that is the story of John's crazy socks. You get a package of candy. And on the packing slip, there should have been a picture with the name of the person who packed the order. 
It's not a transaction. You're not just getting socks. We're sharing an experience. And then when you buy from us, you help us employ people with different abilities. You help us give back. And you help us spread happiness. What's better than that? And you want to talk about advocacy, some of your socks, and that, you know, World Down Syndrome Day for March to be prepared. But you also have autism awareness socks. You have Williams Syndrome. Yeah, it's, uh, we want to raise awareness. We want to celebrate causes and raise money. So we have autism awareness socks. Yeah, and we have autism socks. We have EMT. We have EMT tribute firefighter. Also, we have healthcare superhero socks. Right. So like last year, uh, the pandemic was very bad here on Long Island. And we wanted to do something. What could we do? We make socks. So we made healthcare superhero socks to say thank you to the frontline uh, workers. And they've now raised over $50,000 for the American Nurses Association and a local hospital, their COVID-19 fund, uh, Good Samaritan Hospital. So yeah, we have a lot of socks like that. Products that are calling attention. You know, the whole idea of we're not going to hide in the back room. We're going to call attention to it. We're going to celebrate. We're going to say, isn't this great? My neighbor, my friend, my brother, my sister has Down syndrome. And look how wonderful they are. And your website is so user-friendly really and, and easy to, uh, to to scroll through, and it makes you want to look at all these different socks. There's really socks for everyone. And, you know, when you're going out, and I really I wanted to do this interview before the holiday season because when people are looking for things, sometimes, you know, it's, it's hard to find a gift for someone. Uh, everybody wears socks, and everybody has something that they like whether it be music or they're a teacher or John Cena, or I mean, you have, you have everything on there. And, and then the advocacy, there's something for everyone, you know, especially right now when we're, we're supporting, we're really looking at supporting each other and just the little ways that we can change the world for the better. Well, holidays are big for us. And one of the things that's neat, right? It's why you always wear socks. Right. You know, you'd say, let me, they let me be me. You can get very personalized socks for, you know, as a gift that, you know, if you know somebody who loves golf, you can get them golf themed socks. Or if it's a scientist, you can get Tesla socks or, or our circuit board socks that in fact, were the winning socks in our autism can do scholarship contest. So there's something for everybody there. And, and we get to support a really great company. Right. And so today, it's Tuesday. So what do you do every Tuesday? Every Tuesday, I host a dance party every Tuesday. That's me. John hosts an online dance party. Because how can you spread happiness during a pandemic? Get people to come online and dance. Is there is there a link to the dance party on your website? Yeah, at the very bottom. If you go to the bottom, you'll see a link for the dance party. I'm glad we spent time to get to know you because, you know, we could have talked just about the socks and and the business, but we really wanted to get to know you and, and I'm really glad. Thank you for sharing your you journey. Shared your story, yeah. Thank you for your afternoon today. It's been just a pleasure talking to you. Such a delight. Well, thank you so much for having us. On. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Please follow us on Twitter at If We Knew Then Pod, and you can drop us a line on our Facebook page at If We Knew Then Pod. Or visit our website, ifwenewthen.com, to send us an email with questions and comments. 
And you can join our mailing list there and get alerts of future podcast episodes. All these links will be added to this episode's show notes. Thank you again, and we look forward to you joining us on the next episode of If We Knew Then. Come and tell me.